Hey everybody, it's Chris. If you're a sports fan like me, or you're just a fan of a great story, you gotta check out Press Box Access, a sports history podcast hosted by Todd Jones. Todd sits down with fellow sports writers who experienced firsthand some of the biggest sports moments of the past 50 years, and they share some of the stories behind the stories, some of which they've only told to each other. What I personally love are the wild stories that you might not hear so much about on SportsCenter over the years. Like when Indiana-based sports journalist Bob Kravitz recounts the time Bobby Knight showed up naked to an office meeting with him and then banned him from the Hoosiers' locker room for the next three years because Bob wrote a story he didn't like. Or when Alexander Wolfe tells a story about going out on the town in Chicago with Dennis Rodman and Carmen Electra in the middle of a Bulls playoff series. Or when Dan Wetzel talks about what it was like to be in the media room when Temple basketball coach John Chaney stormed into UMass coach John Calipari's press conference after a game and threatened to kill him. These wild and fun stories, paired with stories about real sports greatness, you know, like the 1970s Steelers being the greatest NFL dynasty ever, or the legendary rivalry between Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, and even the impact of protests for social justice issues in sports, make Pressbox Access a show you should check out. Pressbox Access is part of the Evergreen Podcast family, and it's available all the places you get your pods, and you can also find Pressbox Access on YouTube. Go check it out. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hey. Do you have an idea for a podcast but don't know where to start? Or do you have an already existing podcast that you want to take to the next level? Well, check out WeKnowPodcasting.com. From concept development to theme music to editing to logos, WeKnowPodcasting.com is a one-stop shop for all things pod. Don't hesitate to hit us up. We're very nice. Midnight Oil shined a light on the plate of the Aboriginal communities in the Australian outback with their 1987 hit, Beds Are Burning. This anthemic song is widely considered one of the greatest pieces of music to ever come out of Australia, and any Australian listeners will likely be shocked that we're discussing this band on a podcast about one-hit wonders. The charts don't lie, however, and this was Midnight Oil's only top 40 Billboard hit in the U.S., this week, we're joined by Zayo guitarist Scott Mellinger to decide if this band makes us want to dance while our earth is turning or sleep while our beds are burning. Welcome back. Yay, I'm so happy to be back. You're back, and this time 
We're going to talk about it right off the bat. We're talking about Midnight Oil. And I got to say, I got a soft spot in my heart for a band with a bald boy. They got a bald boy in this band. <laughs> yeah, they do. Yeah. I'm, I'm there with you. Their lead singer looks so much like Michael Berryman from The Hills Have Eyes Dude. that it freaks me out. No, he reminds me of, I thought who you were going to say is, he reminds me of that guy. Uh, maybe he's the same guy, but the guy from like the Guillermo del Toro movies, like the dude who plays like the oh like doug jones yes doug jones here i could see that i don't know i feel michael berryman michael berryman's way more jack than doug jones (laughs) yeah he's i mean he's an imposing figure so i heard one reviewer describe him as michael stipe on steroids and i'm like (laughs) i could see that too actually (laughs) well let me ask you guys as non-bald boys do you still feel the same i don't know when i see like a cool bald guy i'm like nice like you know like <laughs> Stefan from the descendants i'm like that guy's extra awesome michael jordan the rock all the cool bald boys what do you guys think i think well so like i'm not far back behind no you're not a bald boy it's, it's coming <laughs> but like i 100 percent think it's wonderful to see like people take charge of that stuff yeah. and i honestly the more you see people I don't think I'd want to see those people in with hair. Yeah, like it right. doesn't make sense. Like I, they look so good without the hair. Well, right. people can make it work without hair, and people can't. So when I was a freshman in high school, I didn't want to take a language course, so I signed up for the junior ROTC, which was like the military wow. course, <laughs> which meant I had to shave my head, and that's when I found out that my head is shaped similar to Sloth from Goonies. So like, <laughs> God forbid, if this this luscious hair ever falls out of my head, it will be a bad look for me. Yeah. Hats. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. going to have to be what I lean on. Look, I'm a, I'm a proud bald boy, but I wear hats a lot for two reasons. One, especially in the summer, getting the top of your head bur- sunburnt is the worst. It's happened a couple times and it sucks. And second, your head gets cold. That's, yeah. the, that's the other part. But Peter Garrett, I noticed he's always been a bald boy. Like even back in the 70s, there was never a time where I saw this guy with hair. He's been rocking it forever. And he looks cool. He looks crazy. He, he's... He looks tall. I don't know if, if he is, but it seems like in his videos, he looks like a tall guy. Yeah, he definitely looks massive for sure. <laughs> but we're here to talk about Beds Are Burning, and which I think is a pretty cool song. I, I don't know. It's one of Australia's... I was talking to Scott at Pack Practice the other day about this. It's one of Australia's most beloved songs of all time. So I was looking this up real quick because this is even more chaotic. So the album that this song is on, Diesel and Dust, right? Rolling Stone named it the best album of 1988, stacked up against everything that came out in the United States. Uh, It was ranked as the 13th greatest album of the 80s by Rolling Stones. But even more impressive is that in October of 2010, a book was released called The 100 Best Albums from Australia, and they listed this as number one over ACDC's Back in Black. Wow. Okay. Wow. I haven't even been thinking about ACDC. Yeah. I mean, Scott, you chose this song. Did you choose this song because you're a Midnight Oil fan? Yes. Actually, I own Diesel and Dust and Blue Sky Mining. It's weird, too, to go back and look. I didn't realize they were a like, working band from 78. Mm-hmm. So like, I didn't. there's like a ton of stuff that I haven't even heard. But going back and revisiting it, knowing we were going to do this, I didn't realize how many good songs are on Diesel and Dust. Like, Beds Are Burning, whatever. It is it is the banger of the record. Yeah. But there are wonderful songs all over that record. There's probably, like, two on the whole record that I skip. So, mm-hmm. as a, a fan of, the, of what they were and, like, their whole identity and what they're kind of into, I remember loving it when I was younger mm-hmm. uh, and buying those records when I was in, like, 
high school. And so I guess I'm like a, I'm a fan that's trying to revisit and kind of get, get a little bit more knowledge on them. And they were part of that, like their sound after listening to a bunch of their songs, because I wouldn't have pieces together just on beds are burning, but listening to the rest of their catalog, they definitely fall into that 1988 pre-grunge alternative college rock sound of like an REM at that time and stuff like that, where it's like, it's, it's heavy, but it's not like, it's definitely not the hair metal that's happening at the time, but it's also definitely not like the synth pop that's happening. Like it's, it's very distinct, just straight rock and roll sound with like heavy political yeah. overtones in every piece of it. Like genreless rock. Yes. It's, this <laughs> this is rock music is what this is. And it with a message, Beds Are Burning has a really cool message. So they toured through the outback of Australia in 1986, and they saw the seriousness of the issues of health and living standards of Aboriginal communities. So this song was a critique of... I don't know that these people's being forcibly removed from their lands. And, you know, there's the line in the song, it belongs to them. Let's give it back. And actually the other single from this album as well, which was the dead heart was also about that same subject matter. So I think people in Australia really uh, rallied behind them, not only for the music, but the message behind the music. I think it's also cool that Peter Garrett, who we're talking about, like, Midnight Oil would fall into that exact same category of another one hit wonder we talked about, like Chumbawamba, where they were just everything about their band was a politically driven thing. Scott and I were talking about like Midnight Oil, even versus Rage Against the Machines, like hardcore. Peter Garrett went one step further and just started running for political offices. Wow. And in 2007, he won an election and was appointed the Minister of the Environment, Heritage and the Arts. For all of Australia? For Australia. And then in 2010, became the Minister of School Education, Early Childhood, and Youth. And then retired in 2013 to go back to playing music. Damn. <laughs> like, Putting his money where his yeah, mouth is. That's yeah. the real deal then. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty awesome. Wow. This song's pretty wild. One of the first things that Matt brought up about this song is, I you think of the, the very anthemic chorus, but the verses are weird. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They're like kind of almost spoken word kind of sung weird i guess i guess rem is a pretty good comparison but yeah he's definitely got some strange vocal stylings it's almost like like kind of comparing him to rem it's interesting to me to see how his voice i mean it's almost like goofy sounding in yeah. the verses like yeah. i mean in, by no means do i think anything about them is goofy but you listen to it and you're just like Wow, is he like purposely doing? You mean when he says something like "ow, wow, yeah, the river yeah. broke"? <laughs> and you would think, oh, is that, that? I don't even think that's in his inflection. No, like, I think it's, it's like, a bit of an accent. Yeah, it's like his singing style. Yeah, yeah. So like, <laughs> but it definitely like, and when you listen to the whole record, a lot of the verses of the songs are his like really strange cadence, and then he'll have the band kind of like kick in with him chorus wise yeah so then the choruses sound like oh well they're pretty like a normal rock sound right but yeah yeah I, I mean it's almost like we were just we did an episode recently about insane in the brain from cypress hill same kind of thing where b reels vocals they're so weird that they're memorable yes and that's you'll see that a lot in rap music of course like everyone has these very distinctive voices i think standing out makes you <laughs> Okay, it makes you stand out. It makes you different than maybe someone who's singing 
very pretty or something. You have this thing. It's like, what is that? Dude, I brought this up on a couple episodes now. You might agree that doing something outrageous or weird in your song that kind of makes people like go, what? What just happened there? Then later becomes catchy and something very just outlandish can make a song a hit, I think. Yeah. Well, I like, obviously the song was around when I was alive, so it wasn't like a song I had to discover, but I had forgotten about it. And I actually, I rediscovered the song at a bowling alley of all places when someone put it on the jukebox and it's that chorus. The second I heard that chorus, it was trapped in my head for like a decade. Right. I do think you're right though, Chris. What I love about it is it does that. It does that weird, odd, like out of left field kind of thing. But the chorus is so well written. Yeah. And I think when you can kind of have something that people are like, what the hell is that? But then you have all these choruses to back up your weirdness. Like I was telling Matt earlier that there's like the three songs at the end of Diesel and Dust. I forgot how good those songs are. And the choruses for each one of those songs are incredible. So you could picture all of Australia. Yeah. yeah. When you got the goods. Yeah. Yeah. When you got the goods. Yeah. And speaking of that, speaking of all of Australia singing this song, (laughs) I brought this up to you to practice too. Beds are burning. Well, I was wrong when I told you. I said it was the number two uh, most beloved Australian song of all time. You know, we've talked about the Australasian Performing Rights Association before on here, the APRA, because we've had several Australian songs. But we had Katie Cole on here to talk about the Easy Beats Friday on my mind, which is the number one most beloved. Well, you know, ranked by this APRA. Number two is a song called Eagle Rock by Daddy Cool, which I do not know. Nope. But Beds Are Burning is number three. Number three. Australia's Jeez. most beloved song. Well, I was surprised it wasn't Crowded House, though. Crowded Crowded House really makes me think of Australia. Yeah. Or Men at Work. Although Men at Work, I feel like it could be like... They oh, may yeah, have gotten we, upset by that yeah. song. Yeah, we get it. Land down <laughs> under. Yeah, we get it. But, but it, I mean, respect where respect's due because we'll never actually do a Men at Work episode. Colin Hay is a phenomenal songwriter oh, and yeah, singer. Like, dude. Like his solo stuff has been so fucking good that it's like made me reevaluate how good Men at Work in general was. I mean, that what's that? The, the jam? What's the Men at Work jam? The, I can get to sleep or the down and under or who could no, it be no, now? I can get to sleep. Yeah, that's a jam. Overkill. Overkill. That is an amazing (laughs) song. Yeah, but so this is very popular there. Hey, question. Why is it? Question. (laughs) We're not doing a second. Anyway, question. Do you think that Weezer bit off the dun 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 like of the verse of this for Hashpipe? I don't know because I think I always thought Hashpipe was ripping off the Peter Gunn theme. If anything, I honestly think people rip off so much and nobody <laughs> will ever realize it. Yeah, there's like I what did I just realize the other day? Oh, this. So like I'm I'm a big ABBA fan. Yeah, and I was listening to a Muse song, which I'm not really a big fan of that band anymore, but. Dude, they rip off ABBA all the time. Yeah. And nobody would know because it's like such a separate thing. Like right. you're not going to listen to Muse. I mean, maybe, but but yeah, there's like all these ABBA melodies in Muse songs. And I'm like, oh. It was a couple of weeks ago when we talked about how uh, the waitresses Christmas rapping, they openly were just like, yeah, we ripped off the base of Good Times by Sheik because it was on the radio <laughs> at the time that yeah. we were recording the song. Crazy. <laughs> this song has had a strange assembly of people who've covered it as well. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if you dug into that. Uh, Comeback Kid did it. Uh, Amanda Palmer did it. 
Oh, nice. AWOL Nation did it with Tim from Rise Against doing the vocals on the track. Huh. But the strangest one I found was that on October 2nd, 2009, 60 musicians and celebrities from around the world reworked the song to highlight climate change. And I'm going to list everybody that was on there, but it was Claus from the Scorpions, Simon from uh, Duran Duran, Tyson from All American Rejects, Lily Allen, and then a bunch of different actors. And they called it Tick, Tick, Tick to symbolize the ticking time we had before climate change would destroy the world. Well, speaking of that, where are we at on that clock? You know that clock? <laughs> we're not Aren't good. Aren't we like a we're minute real, away? Yeah, we're real close. Yeah, we're not doing well. Unfortunately, a bunch of celebrities singing a song didn't fix climate yeah. change. <laughs> True. That, that's <laughs> usually... The doomsday clock isn't too far off either no, now, That's right? what I mean. That's what yeah. I'm talking well, about. Well, there's, like, there's the one that was for nuclear war, uh, and then there's, oh, there's the climate change one. Now, climate change, what? Like, we have... 10 maybe eight years seven years it's amazing how much we fucked up the planet in just like the past hundred years well when you yeah you have half of the population that doesn't even think that that's a possibility yeah yeah so the deadline for let's see deadline time left to limit global warming is six years 243 days and then you know two hours 18 minutes and whatever seconds damn well, yeah. that's that's depressing. <laughs> yeah. uh, back to Midnight Oil. Yeah, been, back <laughs> sorry, to Midnight sorry Oil. Sorry to bomb everybody out. <laughs> well, it's a good thing to bring up because Midnight Oil's been kind of fighting this fight. And, yeah. yeah. You know. They've been burning the Midnight Oil they on, have that, been. on that. Uh, <laughs> and so I saw some interesting things about, I you know, Midnight Oil is pretty freaking big, but some people believe, like Bob, the founder of Spin Magazines, be- believes that if Midnight Oil were from New Jersey instead of from Australia, that they'd be bigger than you two. He has been quoted as saying that, that they should be, you know, one of the biggest bands on the, you know, in, in Australia, they probably do have the perception of being that way. In the United States, I knew beds are burning and that's it. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. why we're doing one hit thunder about them. <laughs> well, and the U2 comparison is actually really good as well, because like in that same realm of where I said like, they fall in that college rock sound of REM, you know, Joshua tree era U two as well. They fall in that same sound of, cause that's not that U two ever stopped being a political band. Like Bono has always kind of been vocal about that stuff, but that's when you're getting stuff like new year's day and pride in the name of love, where they're like also really taking their music to make some stances about like injustices happening in their world. Right. And there's, there's plenty of Midnight Oil songs where they are talking about historical injustices just as much as current day injustices. I know Arbor Day is a pretty big one from them that's like literally just about like, oh, this was that time that Australia lost millions of soldiers because the Queen of England just told us to go fight somewhere for a war we had nothing to do with. And that's when they decided to secede from Europe. <laughs> like, right, right. Hey, I, I there was a pretty good thing recently. If anybody has HBO Max, you can go back and watch John Oliver's... Uh, thing about the monarchy yeah <laughs> which was amazing thing down yeah <laughs> of, of the monarchy as far as midnight oil goes man oh man did they influence a lot of artists there there i have a big list of artists that cite midnight oil as a huge influence which includes green day rem pearl jam the cranberries garbage Candlebox, hot water music shades apart crowded house and the living end so it's Pretty solid list. And most of those don't surprise me. Yeah. No, right. no. If you said like NSYNC, I'd be like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and their songs have been covered by Pearl Jam, Eddie Vedder Solo, U2, Patti Smith, The Killers, 
Imagine Dragons. Oh, your favorite. Yes. <laughs> Silverchair, Tom Morello, Billy Bragg, and Anti-Flag. Yeah. One more thing that I saw was that Billy Corgan considers them one of the greatest live bands of all time, as does Kurt Loder, who yeah. said they're Australia's most formidable live act. Jeez. <laughs> it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I'm not going to lie here. I've become a factor fanatic lately. I'm a busy guy, and getting to eat restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat in two minutes has been amazing. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You have 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. I've been spreading the word to everyone I know, not just here on the podcast, but in person as well. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. You get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And the math doesn't lie. Factor is less expensive than takeout. Plus, considering every meal is dietitian approved, it's also nutritious and delicious. So what are you waiting for? Get started today by heading to factormeals.com slash one hit 50 and use the code one hit 50 to get 50% off. That's code one hit 50. The words one hit and the number 50 that is at factormeals.com slash one hit 50 to get 50% off. Hey, one hit thunders, thunderheads, thunder buns. All right. I'll just go with one-hit Thunder listeners. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song that they have written. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites such as Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurwitz, up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu, and even some of the artists that have been featured on One Hit Thunder. The show is even produced by One Hit Thunder host Chris Fafalius. What more could you possibly ask for? Chris to Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday. I guarantee you'll like it, or we'll give you your money back. Do you think there's a weird, like, United States barrier because they're from Australia? Sure. I mean, it's and it's really, it doesn't make any sense because most of the bands that have gotten big that we all love are from, like, Britain. Yeah. Yeah. So, but Australia has this weird, I don't know what it, why. Yeah, we tend to only give them one or two yeah, songs. Yeah, it's like, like even Silverchair. Silverchair is like a band that their later albums are so critically adored. Oh, my God, yeah. And not a single song from them would any person who didn't actively buy those CDs and listen to be able to name. <laughs> this is so hilarious. <laughs> this is a, an ongoing Zayo thing. So, like, I've liked Silverchair when Diorama came out. Right? Yeah, it's like, a great I, album. That album is unbelievable. Jeff, our drummer, hates Silverchair. <laughs> so, like, we did this. We When we did our record with Steve Albini on our... 
our little like making of documentary, me and him are arguing about Silverchair on there. And I still stand by like the later Silverchair records are great fucking records. Yeah. Frog Stomp is what it is for it, a bunch yeah, of 16 yeah. year olds yes. recording an album, but pretty much Neon Ballroom and beyond. It's like, no, this is like a legit. Oh, yeah. Almost Neon Ballroom has like almost experimental Beatles level of like, what are they doing? I they agree. are like 19 year olds. Like, let's get a big ass orchestra in here to back us for three songs. Well, that's like, if you look, li- <laughs> Diorama lists, I think it's, is it Diorama or is it? No, what's the, no, Young I think moderns. it, yeah, that's the, okay. So Diorama lists it that Daniel Johns didn't use anything for his voice. Like yeah. there isn't a record you hear today that doesn't have some sort of auto tune or melodyne. He just sings it. He clean. straight up, on the record says there is absolutely zero computer hmm. like fuckery to make him sound like he does. And he sounds yeah. spot. I mean, they were pretty good when they were freaking 16 years old. True. Jesus Christ, <laughs> if someone heard my recordings oh, when God, I was 16 yeah. years old, that's like my worst nightmare. Getting to play, I, I almost get jealous watching it of that video of them playing outside of radio music hall for like the MTV movie awards, just like on a rooftop. 15 years old, <laughs> yeah. rocking out live on MTV before the Video Music Awards. Like, could you think of anything more cool in 1995 when you're a teenager than doing that? I mean, the people that are, are good from the time they're teenagers, it's like un, unfair. Like, we, I, I've brought this up before. We did a tour in Japan with Paramore in like 2006. And they were like, their drummer was 15. That's insane. Haley was 17. And they were awesome. <laughs> they were so good that young because they'd been playing music since they were whatever, 10 or 11 years old, they had been a band. So yeah, it's, it's, I try to tell little kid, if I see a little kid who's like, it should be interested in music. I'm like, you should do like focus on that. <laughs> Get off the video game, play, man. I wish I would have started a little bit I earlier. Know. You know, wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> so you want to know what other Australian band was inducted into the Australian hall of fame the same year as uh, midnight oil. Oh, who's that? The divinals. Wow. <laughs> didn't even realize they I were didn't Australian. either. <laughs> yeah. I had no clue. Let's see. Yeah. Australian rock band, The Divinals. Yeah. Wow. We've never done a one hit thunder about that. No, they've been on the list. They've been on the list that I send people. That, for would, sure. be a, that would be a good one. I also frequently forget that In Excess is, is Australian. But yeah, In Excess is in there. Hey, nice. you know something? This is going back a minute and, and off topic once again. But I kind of noticed like, I'm sure you guys have noticed this here and there. Do you notice like a, a hate for Bono? Like there yeah. really is. Yeah. And is it a little unfair? Uh I kind of think that he can come off as pompous, but do you think it started when Trey Parker and Matt Stone kind of fucked with Bono? I think Trey Parker and Matt Stone fucked with Bono and that was the starting point, but then he forced everyone to have a U2 album on that their sucks. phone and, and he, I think that that was I the think real he apologized for that. Yeah, yeah he apologized <laughs> for that and also like we're going to hold that against him forever. It's also one of the worst U2 albums. Yes. Like as a fan of U2, it is a bad album. Well, <laughs> like, okay. My point being that, yeah, <laughs> I get that Bono could be annoying in some ways, but for the most part, doesn't he try to like, he's like trying to save the world. Yeah. He's yeah. trying to save that doomsday clock. Yeah. And do stuff he's about he's it. Like kind of a humanitarian, like trying to, I think it's help the glasses. <laughs> yeah. I think he's I got just, those little shades on at all times. And people are like, Take that. Yeah, he, he gets a little bit of unfair hate. That's, you know, not that I'm like a huge Bono fan or something, but I feel like the hate's a little unfounded. It's kind of like that that comedian who did the thing about Guy Fieri. Yeah. <laughs> Where it's like, why does everybody hate this guy? Yeah. No, and, and I think that the hate for. 
Bono has made people retroactively forget that they have like five all-time great yeah. records that they put yeah, out. Like, right. like their run from like 87 into 95 is like almost untouchable of just like perfect record one after another. So it's like, show a little bit of respect. They were a good ass band. Yeah. <laughs> so back to beds are burning. Yes. It peaked at number 17. That's it. On July 2nd of 1988. Did That's you see what else was on the chart? I made some notes of okay. things that I, I want to bring up. So at that week where Beds Are Burning peaked at number 17, I took a, a look at the charts and made some notable things so you could put it in context of what was going on. At that time, it was above number 47, The Fat Boys with The Twist. <laughs> at number 41, hey, maybe a future one hit thunder episode shattered dreams by johnny h jazz oh yeah Jeez. that's a good song and number 26 parents just don't understand from dj jazzy jeff and the fresh Unreal. prince nice uh number 21 great song roll with it steve winwood okay right. not to be confused with bruce hornsby bruce hornsby <laughs> and steve winwood always get mixed up sometimes but uh Number 18 was Lost in You by Rod Stewart. I only put that because I don't really remember Lost in You by Rod Stewart. Do you guys remember that? No. I but faintly. I, I only put it because that was the one one below Midnight Oil. That was number 18. Then Midnight Oil at number 17. Above it, One More Try by George Michael. I got. I love some George Michael. Mm-hmm. Uh, number 15, Hold On to the Nights from Richard Marks. Yeah, wow. Wrote that one down. Yeah, okay. that was a good one. And now we'll get in the top 10. Above <laughs> Beds Are Burning, I would... Be very interested to see how Midnight Oil felt about this. And number 10, Together Forever from Rick Astley. The best Rick Astley song. Wow, you think that's better than Never Gonna Give You Up? I think it is a way better chorus. That together forever and ever. That is a way better chorus than Never Gonna Give You Up. I don't know. That's tough. Don't you know I would move heaven and earth to be together forever with you? Yeah. I mean, it's good. It is good. It's a good song. Number nine. Ugh, I'd be really pissed if I was Midnight Oil. Nothing but a good time by Poison. Oh, oh I yeah. had them at eight, but yes. Yeah, Poison's up in there. Oh, yeah, you're right. And number nine was New Sensation by NXS. All okay. right. They're like, hey, fellow Australians. Yeah, we're really in the heart of hair metal here. At number seven was Pour Some Sugar on Me, Def Leppard. Uh, so yeah, Midnight Oil ha- was competing against like some cheesy ass uh, hair metal. Uh, number six, Mercedes Boy by Pebbles. Wow. If you want to ride my Mercedes Boy. Ooh, I like that song. <laughs> number five. The Valley Road by Bruce Hornsby in the range, which I don't remember that one. No. And I was like, I, when I was looking at the list, I'm like, I feel like I'm supposed to know this song. Like it was one of those ones where I looked at it for a while and was like, why do I not know? Bruce Hornsby, song? it's like the way it is and Mandolin Rain. Those mm-hmm. are the two songs yeah. I, I know from him. And number four, Make It Real by the Jets, which I don't know. That I song. like some Jets songs, but I don't think I know that one. Uh, number three, The Flame by Cheap Trick. Oh, Okay. I don't know what song that is. It's it was like their like ballady like eighties song. Like it was like this, this had to be near the end of Cheap Trick's popularity though, right? Yeah, yeah. Like it was. Yep, like, yep. It was like yeah. I remember, but it's it's like that weird like when those type of bands were trying to do like the. I mean, I guess Cheap Trick always had sort of like good chorus ballady songs, but this one's like a straight ballad song. Okay, yeah. It, it's it's strange to me that I don't know some like number two and. Keep in mind, this is 1988. I'm either seven or eight years old. And I liked her a lot at this time. Debbie Gibson was number two. But the song is Foolish Beat. I don't remember Foolish Beat whatsoever. My wife would. I I mean, I can't believe I did. You know, actually, now that I think about it, the flame reminded me of something. So I remember when Cheap Trick did that song. 
it was very similar to when Alice Cooper did his like ballady song. And it was totally because of all the hair metal bands that were doing the ballad. Yeah. So it like, that was like cheap tricks sounding sort of like Europe carry or something. It's like, also their only number one hit. Wow. Oh. The flame is the only cheap trick song to reach number one on the hot 100. Wow. I want you to want me. No, nope, did not pull it wow. off. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't even know it. Uh, and number one at this time when beds are burning was at its peak. Dirty Diana from Michael Jackson, which I was surprised. I don't remember weird. Dirty Diana being that big of a hit. Yeah, that's a weird one to even know is a Michael Jackson number one hit. Yeah, but hey, maybe it was just there for a short time. I kind of forgot about that song completely. And then in like the past, whatever, five or six years, The weekend did a cover of Dirty yeah. Diana. And I was like, oh, that's a pretty good cover. The only song that you didn't mention that I wrote down because I just love this song was at number 14, uh, Lita Ford's Kiss Me Deadly. Oh, okay. <laughs> that song rules. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> what was her ballad? Close uh, Your Eyes Forever Close your with, eyes Ozzy. with Ozzy. Yeah, that song's <laughs> awesome too. <laughs> All right, so Midnight Oil. It's time to make a decision. Are they? Did they bring the one hit thunder, or are they one hit blunder? I mean, we'll start with Scott. I'm 100 percent one hit thunder. Yeah, right. I mean, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame listed "Beds Are Burning" as one of the 500 songs that shaped rock and roll as we know it. Wow. So, who am I <laughs> <laughs> to say anything but thunder for this band? And also, I, I told you earlier today of all of the bands that we've had to cover for this session that we're doing at your house this is the band that i'm most likely like oh yeah no i'm going to pick up some albums by this band because i really like everything that i heard by them right and i love a band with a message and it's one of those things where yeah they're a one-hit wonder i guess in the united states but they're most definitely not a one-hit wonder they're like a beloved you know historic band in australia and to call them anything other than Thunder would probably be sacrilege here. Yep. I think that's that's kind of crazy. I think there's are they still a band? Are they, they, they are still yeah, playing. They were as far as I know, yeah. I think they put out an album in 2020. Okay. Scott, what do, what do you got going on? You play in a band with me. I play in a band with you, Chris. Yes. Um, yeah, we actually just played a show, so that was super fun. We did. Can we talk about that show for yeah, a second? Yeah, let's do it. So we played a show. And you know, we're still relatively... I mean, we've been a band for years, but... We've only played five or six shows because a pandemic happened in the middle of our band. Our singer was pregnant a couple times. I mean, nothing wrong with it. No, she awesome. played a show eight months pregnant at one Incredible. point. So I'm just saying, like, we've had some life and world things happen. So it still feels like we're a very new band. Mm -hmm. So we released an, an EP last year, very pretty record. And so we played, played a little show. And I got to say that when we were playing... Like on the stage, I felt like, oh God, we just sound loud. Yeah. We just sound like loudness. And I was so like bummed. I'm like, man, people aren't hearing the nuances of our songs. They're just hearing loudness. And I got off and the whole drive home, Marquette's like, what? She's like, what's wrong? Like that, it was fine. I'm like, I just felt like it wasn't that good or whatever. But then the next day... I saw a bunch of videos from the show and I was like, oh, we sounded, we sounded fine. It sounded good. So here is my th thing for that. And I thought about this a lot. So not only Cativo was, it's a basement. Mm -hmm. It's, there's absolutely zero sound reinforcement. It's all concrete and, right. and like really hard material, right? Yeah, things are bouncing all over. So yeah. So when you're on stage at a, at a place like that, with that tiny stage, and the sound guy was, I don't, I mean, I, 
here's so I asked my wife, Tiny Wars crushed us volume wise. Hmm. So when we I was watching Tiny Wars, they were they were they sounded awesome, but they were so much louder than us, she told me. Hmm. So I think what it is is that it was just that that club all that sound bounced off everywhere and it because I could I could hear everything. I could tell it was loud. I know he was pushing it loud out front because we were low, a little bit lower on stage. So the sound out front was pushing louder. Mm-hmm. Even Josh said, he's like, when I heard my monitor mix, it sounded like I had a, like a half stack or a full stack behind me. So I kind of credit that to the way that club is. We know we've all played those clubs. Yeah. It's, it's just something that happens and it's happened to me lots of times where I'm like, Oh God, we weren't good. We sounded bad, whatever. And then I'll see a video like on someone will post a story and I'll be like, Oh, we sounded good. That's fine. So that, that was kind of my experience of that. It's something that most, most people in bands experience all the time. So I, I'm not that bummed. I thought it went pretty well. And PAX has some other shows coming up. How about Zayo? You got anything going on with Zayo? Yeah. So we are not, well, since we've done this for so long, we refuse to do winter touring. So oh, we never yeah. do winter, winter touring because it's just sucks, not, it's it, like, it's too scary. And it's not worth it. So, but uh, like we were talking earlier, like we have a ton of different things being released. Um, so we have this last past year, we've released a bunch of reissue vinyl that, and this like last week we, released one of those um i think it's sold out now and then we will be releasing another older record next year we do have some touring next year and i'm sure just like you guys we're kind of writing and trying to get moving on something new but we because of the pandemic and because zeo doesn't tour like a ton Mm -hmm. we're still kind of just like playing on the crimson corridor record that we released in 2020 so we're, we haven't, I don't think we've, because of this weird situation we're all in, we haven't hit like the record cycle of that to me. Right. Like I feel like we, cause we haven't played those songs to like West coast people, Texas, right. anywhere out of the States. Cause you can't even go anywhere, but right. so yeah, just trying to do that. Yep. But uh, yeah, thanks for coming on Scott. Oh dude, you know, I love, thanks my for pleasure. spending your Monday morning with us. Absolutely. I was so happy to come down and be able to do it. Oh yeah. Awesome. been One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is hosted by Chris Vithalios of the bands Punchline, Pack, and Another Cheetah and produced by Matt Kelly of Geekscape.net. Underneath me you're hearing Ghosty off the Punchline album Just Say Yes. Visit punchlion.com for merch, tour dates, and news. We're on Patreon now. Become a patron and get bonus content, early episodes, and a chance to vote on future episodes at patreon.com backslash OHTpodcast. Do you want to start a podcast? Contact Chris or myself at WeKnowPodcasting.com for how we can make your show sound as professional as possible. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app. And tune in next week for more One Hit Thunder. You have a million names, one of them explains it all to me. What's your thing I call you ghosty, mostly because you're impossible to see, yeah.
You're listening to the Geekscape Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal, the man, to Fat Mike from No Effects, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, peer pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media.